0: Well, good morning. Good strange morning. This is just a strange morning, uh, but welcome to Richland Church of the Nazarene online. This is a, just an incredible experience. This is new for everybody. I'm sure those of you who are watching at home are thinking, wow, am I attending church right now? Um, yeah, you are. This is church. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this, this place that we do still have, that we can come together um, virtually and, and, and praise your name and, and dig into your word and, and just find out once again how much you love us, um, how much this situation is not a part of your plan. This does not please you. Um, but the way we followers of Jesus respond to this, um, Can be so pleasing to you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your Spirit that gives us the power to be your hands and feet uh, in this situation with people hurting, people just in need of comforting voices. Maybe just voices at this point. Um, But Father, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, being here in our presence. You're here even though we're not bodily here. You, um, you're here by way of uh, just us gathered in your name. Um, So Father. Squeeze some good out of this situation that you didn't want to see happen, um, because that's what you do. You squeeze good from bad. Um, and Father, for this message this morning, you and I, we went round and round about this all week, and, and I'm going to present these ideas, Father, but I just pray that you would open people's hearts and open people's ears to hear uh, some a message that they've heard before, but maybe not in these words and not in this way. And this will be a challenging message, Father, so... By the power of your spirit, uh, show us your truth. Show us your grace and show us your truth. Um, Thank you, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Again, welcome to Richland Church of the Nazarene. Listen, if you're online, um, you obviously are because you're watching us right now. Um, that was a little slip of logic. Um, well, here's what we need you to do, though. In the comments section, would you let us know that you're watching, right? You know, the Jackson family or the Muhammad family. I mean, we're watching. There's all six of us. And here's the question I want you to answer. Are you still in your pajamas? Right. right, let's just have a little fun with this. Are you still in your pajamas? We don't want to just, just yes or no. We don't want to know any details. Right. So if, you're, if you say no, we're going to assume that you're fully dressed for the day. We're not going to go anywhere else with our minds. So um, we're going to continue to worship here. Have some fun um, online in the comment section. Say hi to some folks. Um, we're going to continue to sing praises to our, our Savior and our King. And I'm going to come back and open up God's Word. So, ready? Well, again, welcome. Good morning. Good week. Y'all got to stay at home and sleep in, right? That, that's, that's I guess, one of the good things. Um, well, like the rest of you, uh, I've been glued to the TV. Maybe some of you have been glued to the radio, glued to uh, public broadcast. Um, but I've noticed a couple things, and... and They've kind of changed my message this morning. I was all prepared to present a different message. Um, but but these two things that I noticed this week, they, they kind of changed everything. The first thing I noticed is that there's a lot of really good information out there about the coronavirus. Right, Um, You don't have to wonder anymore how to keep yourself safe. Um, There might be some surprises coming down the line, but our our government officials and and, and the people who uh, know these things, health officials, they've been helping us. There's a lot of really good information, but at the same time, I've noticed there's a lot of really, really bad information and just flat-out misrepresentations of our Heavenly Father in the midst of all this um, by really lots of well-meaning people um, doing a lot of really amazing stuff. And so you're asking yourself, you've got to be asking yourself, well, Pastor Jerry, why are you going to be talking about the character of God when the whole rest of the world is kind of right now looking at, um, at us and, and that we should be just loving one another? Why are you going to split hairs um, at this point? Um, there's a reason why I wanted to look at the character of God again, because as I read social media and as I see people's comments, um, they're saying things about my Heavenly Father that simply aren't true. Right? They're blaming him for some things that I don't think he's responsible for. So I want to turn to God's word this morning and just find out what, he, what part God plays um, in all of this. So um, there, is, there, is, there are some questions that we have, and this is the reason why I think it's so important. Um, on the screen, um, you'll see some questions. The, the who God is question and the what God is like question. These two questions and the way we answer these two questions will largely determine the why we love, which will eventually affect the how we love. Right? I hope that makes sense. The who God is and the what God is like questions really direct us. So let me show you how this plays out and why it matters so much. Again, many people on social media are claiming that this is, this is part of God's plan, right? part of God's master plan, um, his will. Um, but, but I want to show you this one post here. This is why it matters. One man says, uh, woman, I'm not sure who it is, I'm sorry to break up the big panic, but the coronavirus will not take anyone out of this world unless that's the good Lord's plan. And if you're not, not going to change that no matter what you do or what you buy. So if I believe this is just all the good Lord's plan and there's nothing I can do to change it, nothing I can buy to change anything, then there's really no need to worry Right? This is all God, part of God's plan. There's really, if we think about it, there's no reason to act. There's no reason to sacrifice. There's no reason to prepare or protect or really do much of anything because, well, it's, it's all part of the good Lord's plan. But I don't believe that the coronavirus is a part of the good Lord's plan. And I hope you believe the same thing. The, the coronavirus is not a part of the good Lord's plan. God did not cause this evil. He is not causing some kind of pandemic that will kill some people, leave many people miserable, and cause widespread panic throughout our world. God did not cause this evil. But, and I'm going to come back to this point in a little bit, genuine evil does exist in our world, but it doesn't come from God. Here's a few other well meaning phrases um, that simply confuse folks, I think, um, and and, kind of muddy the waters of what our our Heavenly Father is actually like. Um, And some of them just paint an uncaring and an unloving portrait of our Heavenly Father. The first is closely related to this master plan. It was all part of the good Lord's plan. And that's this phrase that God is in control. God is in control. I mean, and this, this, this phrase feels really, really good in the short term. I know I've used it hundreds of times when people are grieving. Hey, God is in control. God's got this. And again, tremendous short-term comfort. But at the end of the day, you've got to ask. People have got to ask. People have been asking throughout the ages. Well, if God is in control, why doesn't he just fill in the blank? And for you who have, for you who have experienced horrendous abuse... At the hands of evil people, you, you've you asked this question too. Why didn't God just step in and stop the perpetrator? Why, why? If God is in control, why didn't he just step in? God is in control doesn't provide answers for torture and murder and rape and disease and cancer and meth addiction and disabilities and childhood leukemia and the list goes on and on and on. God is in control doesn't doesn't provide a satisfactory answer for these real-life issues God is in control only if you add this ending here God is in control of seven billion cats all doing exactly as they please All right, so I'm okay with saying God is in control if you add that last part seven billion cats all doing exactly as they please and that's exactly what humanity is like and I'm sure God has this thought all the time herding cats these people Herding cats. Now, it's entirely biblical that God is in control of history. Kind of in a macro fashion, moving things along by the power of his Holy Spirit. But any description of that control has to leave room for what God stated clearly in his word was his purpose. And that was to include us in the plan. He was going to do this incredible work through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and through those who believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And the tool, the method he was going to use wasn't magic. It wasn't, um, really, it wasn't even miracles. It was going to be love. Love. That's it. That's the master plan, love. And the coronavirus has nothing to do with love. So let's just separate those two ideas right away. Here's why I have so much trouble with the whole God is control in the face of evil. I read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And again I read in 1 John chapter 4 a little further on and so we know and so we know and rely on the love of God that the love of God has for us and God is love. And that's a crucial statement. Do we really know and do can we rely on the goodness of God because if we go anywhere down that road where it says that God caused any of this or even allowed any of this to happen, then we really can't rely on God's love. It becomes somewhat arbitrary and we don't know what's going on. And so we have our answers to our questions. Who is God and what is God like? He's, he's light. He's love. He's good through and through and through. Here's another beauty, a phrase that you're going to hear in the midst of all this. God just wants to make you more, and then you can fill in the blank. More forgiving, generous, loving, kindness, patient, and so on. But again, is this what you tell a mom who's just experienced a third miscarriage? God is doing this and allowing this, so either way you want to say this, so that you will be more mature. Is this the kind of thing we tell a family whose son just took his own life? Hey, it's just part of God's plan that little Johnny would take his life. It's just part of God's plan, but God is in control. Is that really what we say to these people? And here's the kicker. Here's the one that I've heard this, and I just, I I pray I haven't said this. God just needed another angel in heaven's choir. Right? You don't tell a grieving mother that. Right? Because it's not true. It's a straight-up lie. God did not need your little boy to add another tenor to the heavenly choir. That's just silly. Again, these are all sayings that, that, are, that are spoken by well-meaning people, but the answer is they don't make any sense. They include some truths, and here's another one we're bound to hear. See the good that's come out of the pandemic. We're so much more, again, fill in the blank, now. Seeing the good that comes from the pandemic, some people will use a greater good argument. We're so much more. We're so much more now. I need you to listen very carefully. There will be amazing stories of self-sacrifice and extravagant love that come out of this whole situation, but God did not cause or allow these things to happen. It isn't a part of some predetermined plan or some kind of game that God is playing with us. I think it might be more accurate to say this, that God squeezes good from bad, right? That God didn't, he squeezes the good from the bad that God didn't want or will in the first place. In Romans eight twenty-eight, 28, it says that God, well, I'm, we're going to come back to that quote, but it, the gist of it is God isn't the author of evil or even the allower of evil, right? Either we, we're the ones that provide the evil by doing really incredibly dumb things. We disobey the commandment to love, but no, but God is more, in Romans eight twenty eight. God is more the fixer of the evil that we make. And by fixer, I don't mean he's going to come clean up our mess and, and take care of the circumstances. We're going to have to live those circumstances. But what I mean by the fixer is he's going to walk us through our mess. And at the end of the day, he's going to make sure that we can still stand and that we still have value and that we still know that we're loved by him. That's what he's going to. That's what I mean by he's, he's the fixer. And again, many cliches include Some truth. But none of them really answer our our, our deepest questions. To which many well-intentioned folks will will toss out one of these three gems. Watch this. God's ways are not our ways. What kind of answer is that? Who are we to question God? Hey, how about everything happens for a reason? And the reason... And and, and I think we have a right to know, and I think it's okay to to press into this and ask God and and, and demand answers. We read in the book of Job. This is what Job does. He demanded, and he got a really a crazy conversation with God, and I think God is okay with us doing that exact same thing. We don't know why God acts this way, some people will say. God doesn't act in any way that we can understand, they'll say. Finite beings can't in any sense understand an infinite God, they'll say. Basically, God's ways are not our ways. In our minds, we translate it as God's love isn't like our love. That's not very helpful at all, right? Especially because he's told us how to love and he's asked us to love one another. So, why would he ask us to love one another when somehow he's hidden what true love is from us? Like, somehow his love is different from ours, and we just have to be okay with his love in the midst of all this horrible stuff, and we, can, and we still need to call it love. And I, I just don't think that's very accurate. See, we do know what love is intimately, flesh and blood examples all through our scriptures. John chapter 13, we've been kind of looking at this one each week in our series. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. There's no mystery there. Christ came and showed us this is what God is talking about when he says love one another. There's, there's no mystery. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how we know what love is. Playing the mystery card isn't helpful, particularly when we've been shown what true love is. One theologian summed up the fallacy of always reverting to the mystery card when we can't come up with a reasonable explanation of pain and suffering in the world. He says this, If we can't provide plausible answers to our deepest struggles and fears, including the coronavirus, why believe in God at all? And I think a lot of people in our world, that's where they've arrived they haven't stated it out loud but if you look at their lifestyles and the way they live their lives this is this is the de facto truth and in response to a lot of our wishy that's the only thing i can call them our, our wishy-washy answers right we just haven't been able to answer the question of evil and pain very well in our world and the majority of people, because we can't provide an accurate and reasonable answer, they, well, they become atheists. In fact, the number one reason, you read this in reports, the number one reason for atheism is the inability to explain evil in a world that supposedly has a loving God in it. Number one reason become people become atheistic. Or, or people will com- continue to believe, but they grow timid, insecure, they're fearful, they have no confidence, they have no victorious living which is I'm afraid is the situation today. In fact, some people even think that for every mishap in their life, God is punishing them. Even in the worst situations, you you have to ask is, is that punishment equal to that crime? Because we always go to that statement, well, he's punishing me for something. And and, and I and I look at people's situation, I think, no. He he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't do that. He doesn't overact, overrespond in that fashion. There's a better answer to questions people are asking about God's involvement in all this. And it does affect the why we love and the how we love. It's really the difference between I love because I'm told and I love because I'm told it's going to make a difference. See, the first kind of love is it might, it might not make a difference. You're simply a cog in a machine and God is in charge of the vast machinery. And it, quite frankly, what you do or don't do because God is so in control and in charge of everything, uh, you could be there or not be there, but things are still going to work out the same way. So we just love because we're told. But the second kind of love is a love that matters. It operates out of divinely appointed significance and efficacy. It's effective. It matters. Our character matters. That's the whole point of our series as does our character even matter yes it counts it counts in a big big way now one more important point I need to make before I show you a better way to think about God's will the coronavirus and the evils of the world that have most likely visited a lot of people here in my voice and this is the idea that genuine evil exists and occurs genuine evil exists and occurs, as in not originating with God Y'all hear me real clearly there, as in not originating with God. There is some suffering and destruction and harm in the world that is absolutely unnecessary. There is some point, some pain in the world and some destruction in the world that we have to conclude at the end of the day was absolutely pointless and useful, useless. There is nothing that could conceivably come from some of the evils that we experience in our world, and yet we, we always want to go to that thing where we're kind of God's behind this, and he's going he's gonna to make us stronger out of this. Pointless, useless, unnecessary pain, evil is genuine evil. Let me define it just a little bit better. On the screen, you're going to see genuine evil makes the world, all things considered, worse than it might have been. Genuine evil causes more harm than the good that could have occurred otherwise. See, the problem is if we don't leave room for genuine, useless, pointless evil, then God becomes either the author of evil or the cold-hearted bystander who allows for some reason to allow evil to occur if god has allowed all past abuse and evil for some greater good listen carefully on this one if God has allowed all past abuse and evil for some greater good, then nothing has ever happened that God considers genuinely evil. See if this line of reason you go down that line of reason and eventually you arrive at evil is good because it served a good purpose. And I, I just I can't go there. I I, I just I can't go there. What we're saying is that God had to have permitted every rape, deception, murder, and betrayal for some greater good. (laughs) Therefore, evil is good, but we all know it's not. So I want to play a game with us all here, kind of let this all play out just a little bit. Some of you have seen Big Bang Theory. Um, Sheldon and Amy play a game. It's called In a World Where. And in this game, Sheldon and Amy, they will come up with two just random facts. And in a world where these two random facts are true, what, 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 what would the world look like at that point? So here's our game, all right? In a world where God is light, God is love, and God is good all the time, but genuine evil exists, explain God's part in all this. In a world where God is good, but genuine evil exists, where does God fit in all this? Now, a couple things we need to understand about God if we're going to make sense of the coronavirus and all these other tragedies in our lives. And come out at the end of the day loving Jesus more than when the day started. The first idea is probably the most difficult to get our heads around. And I want you to just say a silent prayer for God to open up your heart and your mind. And again, this, this challenged me all week long. I struggled with this, and I don't think I should be the only one struggling with this. Uh, we're the body of Christ, so I want you to struggle with this too. Um, this is your homework. If you don't agree with what I'm about to say, um, I need you to go home and, and, and start digging in your scriptures. All right? Here's what I want to say. The question is, where is God when it hurts? God can't, can't single-handedly prevent evil. I know a lot of you. What, what do you mean, God can't? You're crazy. I know a lot of po- folks are already switching over to C3 right now. This guy's nuts. We don't want to hear from this guy anymore. But just listen to this scripture. If you think that God can't, I mean, this is just a very quick sampling. I mean, there's there's plenty more. Um, God cannot lie. Titus chapter one verse two. God cannot be tempted. James chapter one verse thirteen. God cannot grow tired. Isaiah chapter forty verse twenty eight. This one's the best though. This is the one that really speaks to our situation. This is in 2 Timothy. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, uh, Timothy. It's a second letter that he wrote to him. If we are faithless, and I I put that when in there because that's the context without me having to go through the whole passage. Um, When we're faithless is the intent of this passage. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In other words, God cannot oppose his own nature. He cannot act in an ungodly fashion because he's God. It'd be the same thing as me saying tomorrow I think I'm going to be a dog, right? I can't do that because I'm a human being. I, I, it's it physically, physiologically, it is impossible. Even if I was a miracle worker, I would have to be genie or bewitched to turn into a, a dog. I, I, I'm a human being. And God is the same way. He can't help but be God-like because He is God. Now, that's an idea you're going to have to hold on to for just a little bit here. Let me let, me, let, me let this unwind just a little bit further. So if God is light, and there is no darkness in Him whatsoever, and if God is love, here's the, the shamey game, then God cannot be the author or, or even the allower of genuine evil. And at this point, we're going to have to stop and make sense of the nature of love if we're to understand why God can't stop evil single-handedly. And here's the reason. Love is inherently uncontrolling. Inherently. It's not like it's an add-on. By definition, love is uncontrolling. It does not control. It does not force. It's also relentless. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, Real love never forces itself on others. It doesn't manipulate, doesn't dominate, doesn't dictate, it does not control. Love never ends. By his very nature, God's love is uncontrolling and relentless. And again, it's not that any outside force has limited God. God is self limiting. We can't limit what God is doing, Satan can't limit what God is doing. God is self limiting by his being. Therefore, to say that God can't single-handedly prevent evil is to say that God can't turn and He won't turn anybody into a robot because that's what He would have to do. He would literally have to take away the freedom that He gave us, take it back either permanently or temporarily. And that goes against His nature. To say that God can't single-handedly prevent evil is to say that God can't turn anyone into a robot and force them to do good or not to do evil. A second idea as to why God can't do this single-handedly. John 4, chapter, verse 24 says, God is spirit. Wrap your heads around this one now. Take your time. We are literally the hands and feet of our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you thought about that before. If God's Spirit is instructing you to go love somebody, it's your arms that are going to wrap around that person. It's not His. God is Spirit. He has no divine hand to pull a child from oncoming traffic. God has no divine arms to wrap around a grieving mother. He has no divine legs to carry folks from a building that's on fire. But because we have arms and hands and feet, we're called to prevent evil with our bodies, our corporal bodies, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen very carefully. Despite having no corporal body, God is still present and active in all situations. But I want you to understand something, how he's active and present in all situations. Divine power watch this very closely, it's direct but it's Persuasive. Right? It's there, it's right in our faces by way of the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's a persuasive one. It's not a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scare you into doing this, I'm going to uh, force you into doing this. It's a persuasive. It's widespread, which means it's everywhere. You cannot miss it, um, but it's a wooing. It's a gentle calling, a prevenient grace, we call it. It's causal, which means it causes things to happen, but it doesn't control things. It doesn't force things to happen. It continually influences, but it never forces. This is divine power. God calls us to use our bodies for good as living sacrifices that's really the idea. Now more than ever our character does count. We are the hands and feet of our heavenly Father. So now the other side of the coin because God can't single-handedly prevent evil you kind of got to land on the other side now. God can't single-handedly prevent evil but he and also because of that he needs our cooperation. Needs. I know a lot of people needs our cooperation. I know a lot of you are more comfortable saying he invites our cooperation. He allows our cooperation. He encourages our... I mean, we can go a hundred different words there. But I think he needs our cooperation. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Some folks will go only so far, again, to invite... Um, but again, that'll be like the first half of our other statement. If we accept a limited view, that limits what God has said to be the case. Romans 5.8 says this. Watch closely. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, A demonstration was needed. Y'all following that? Someone had to die for somebody else. Are you catching this? This is a relational demonstration. This wasn't God standing up there saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. This was God coming down bodily and, and proving relationally, one giving a life for another. And then for a third party to benefit, the third party has to witness the demonstration. Again, it's a relational demonstration. God needed bodies to show his love for us. He needed his son to prove how much he loved us. And he needs, we need each other, and he needs He he does. He needs us. And this chain of events of demonstration, demonstration, relationally demonstrating, relationally demonstrating love with sacrificial and extravagant acts of love, this continues. This is a chain reaction that will continue until Christ returns. He needs us to prove, to show, to demonstrate exactly how much He loves us. And again, to be sure that God does not, just in case any of you went too far on this one, God does not need us to exist. Okay? He doesn't need us to be relational. The triune God is relational in and of itself, but the triune God is love. And love needs an object to love. You can't just love, oh, I love, period. Love has to have an object. Somebody has to receive that love. But God proves his love relationally, never just with words or ideas. So, if God always loves, and God never controls, then God needs our love responses in order to develop a loving relationship that will prevent genuine evil. Do you see how that works? We need to be in a love relationship with Him. And then as we learn to love, we enter love relationships with other people. And it's through those love relationships that God is redeeming the world. That's the way He's going to do it, through loving relationships. Genuine evil like the coronavirus are not a part of God's plan. But listen very closely. We are definitely the key part, a key part of his solution. His son was the first key. We're the second key. Very quickly now, I want to show us one last verse to kind of just cap why we're so important, why our character matters so much. I'm going to show you Romans 8, 28, and I'm going to show you in four different translations. You're thinking, oh my goodness, the teacher's up there. But this is important. This is in the King James Version. This is usually what many of us memorize as children. It says, For we know that all things work together for good to them that call, that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. The problem with this translation is we don't know how God works. It just says that he works. And that really wasn't an an accurate translation of the original Greek statement. So let me turn to what's called the the, uh, NASB version. It says this, and he changed it just a little bit because we're asking ourselves, well, how does God work good? How does He do it? And that's what we're asking. That's our big question. How is God involved in all of this? And And in this version, the NASB version, it says, and we know that God causes all things... All right? So now now we understand that, that got rid of the old problem, and now we got a problem that God causes good and bad. This, This passage suggests that God causes good and bad. For we know that God causes all things to work together. But I don't agree with that. Take a look at the NIV version. This gets a little bit better. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. The only problem with that is God apparently only is going to work with people who respond back in love. The rest of you, you're flat out of luck. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He's not going to work for your good. I don't believe that. I like the Revised Standard Version. This is the one I think that cleans everything up. We know that in everything, and this is what's on the screen in front of you. Hit it one more past the NIV. We know that in everything, God works for good. This is God squeezing good from bad. We know in all circumstances, God works for good. And this is, this is the line, I, this, is, this is the word, with those who love him. So we know in this passage, in this, in this version, we see how God works for us. He works with us. God doesn't cause or even allow genuine evil. But God works for the good, period. Not just for those who have loved him in return, but for all, all of us. God is at work in this world to work, to squeeze good from the bad that he never intended. And for those of you who have suffered horrendous abuse, I think this is the only way, this is a powerful way that you can still love God and know that he still absolutely, absolutely loves you. He wasn't standing by powerless when these things happened to you. I believe he was with you all along. And he was crying out for Christians to stand up, to come to a rescue, to write laws, to create government that defeats evil. Bow your heads, Father. There is evil in the world, and I believe that you are not the source of this evil. Genuine evil exists. That you did not plan, but you are so keen on trying to squeeze something good from all of this bad. And Father, you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to do the exact same thing. In our world, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, we can squeeze good from really, really rotten situations that we don't have to blame you for. Evil exists in the world. Father, your word says that when we address evil, we glorify you. Father, help us stand up. Help us be true disciples. Help us to be, well, the subject of stories that are going to be written after this is all over. Boy, you should have seen the Christians. They stood up and they delivered. They didn't shrink away. They didn't run they continued, to, they continued to do acts of sacrificial and extravagant love. Father, encourage us, empower us, show us where we need to be, show us where we don't need to be. But again, Father, this wasn't your idea, but we are part of your solution. Your son started it all. And we who are called by his name, we've been given the incredible task not the invite, but the, the task to work beside you and to redeem this fallen, broken world. Father, thank you for this incredible privilege. Thank you for this incredible dignity that you've given us. We're not pawns. We're not cogs. We are divinely appointed players in this unfolding drama. And what we do matters. It matters all the way through eternity. Father, thank you for that dignity. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and the blood of your Son that cleansed me from all of my sin and cleansed all of us from all of our sins so that we could go to work for you, Father. Thank you. your Son's name I pray, amen.